Spectrum is brought to you by the Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University. The Scripps College offers the foundation for individuals seeking to blend creativity and practice so that graduates have the freedom to direct their skills and move the world forward. Its faculty takes a multidisciplinary approach to academic, professional, and social growth so that graduates have relentless optimism to navigate the changing environment. Learn more at ohio.edu slash Scripps College. Welcome to Spectrum. Spectrum features conversations with fascinating people. Some are famous and some aren't, but the common thread is that they all have captivating stories. Today we're talking with Dr. Richard Vetter, Emeritus Distinguished Professor of Economics at Ohio University. Dr. Vetter also is founding director of the Center for College Affordability and Productivity in Washington, D.C., and a fellow at the Independent Institute. He talks with us about the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on higher education budgets and the economic difficulties facing families across the country. Dr. Vetter, obviously we're in a crunch time economically. Uh, Every time you turn on the news, you hear a different comparison of how bad this is. I trust your judgment on economic issues. Where are we? Well, uh, things are pretty bad by historical standards. I'm an economic history so, historian, so I look at the, uh, these matters over time. This is in some ways unprecedented. Uh, the, the, the sad thing going into this crisis as far as higher education is concerned is we were already in somewhat of a weakened position even before the crisis began, where the economy as a whole seemed to be doing extremely well, say, in January of this year, unemployment 3.5, 3 3.7%, something like that, about as low as it ever gets, Uh, economy growing 3% a year pretty decently, the stock market uh, hovering around all-time highs. Uh, Even in that environment, a lot of universities had been suffering enrollment declines. Uh, the total enrollment for all of American higher ed today, even before coronavirus uh, hit, uh, the total enrollment was lower than it was in 2011, which is to say uh, quite a number of years ago, uh, eight years, eight, nine years ago. So we were already suffering. Colleges are fairly dependent on enrollment uh, for tuition revenues, and tuition revenues are important at most schools, not all schools, most. So uh, things were uh, in bad shape uh, for some schools. There's also been a sort of flight to quality in higher education in the last decade or so. Kids are more and more finicky about what kind of schools they go to. So the enrollment declines are uh, certainly did not appear in the Ivy League or in the elite private schools 
uh, or uh, such as uh, in the well in the Midwest, like the University of Chicago or Notre Dame or Northwestern, but rather uh, uh, the, the declines have occurred in the less prominent uh, state universities and also in the liberal arts colleges. One of which, uh, Urbana University, uh, recently closed in the state of Ohio. So uh, we have had that distinguishing factor going on. So not all higher ed is the same. For-profit higher ed took a, a huge decline in the last decade. Many would, some would say it was deserved, others would disagree, but uh, the regulatory uh, uh, scrutiny of it grew a lot. So different sectors have faced a different situation. But there has been, whenever you have a decline, uh, uh, in the economy, sometimes you actually get within a year or two some incre increase in enrollment because people who have lost their job decide to go back to school as, as an alternative. But uh, I think it's fair to say that uh, that isn't the uh, case likely this time. Uh, it's an unusual situation. At least we can't predict that it, it, it's the that will happen this time. Uh, it may be different. Uh, so we have a, a, an unusual uh, situation and I, I don't know how we're going to resolve it. Uh, so uh, uh, when the economy declines, uh, state appropriations to uh, public universities take a big hit. We've already seen that here in Ohio, but it's true all over the country. Uh, the schools in, all over the country are complaining about that. Uh, uh, um, Missouri, a school in Missouri announced a 30% cut in its faculty uh, in the last uh, a week. Uh, the, many of the California schools are making uh, uh, similar plans. So what's going on in, 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 where I sit in, in Ohio is, is similar to what we see elsewhere in the country. So it, it's, uh, it's a challenge. Uh, to, uh, philanthropy is likely to be down if history is any guide. Endowments are down. Uh, endowment incomes are down. So a big decline in revenue. So there it is, Tom. That's not a very healthy picture, but let's let's extrapolate that if we could and bring that back to the household, back to mom and dad at home with a child who may be college age, maybe thinking about going to college. You know, we we just heard that uh, retail sales for the month of April down 16.4% unemployment at its highest level since, what, the Great Depression. Uh, how does mom and dad look at all of this from their economic standpoint? Well, mom and dad are worried about how they're going to pay for their kid to go to college. And secondly, they're increasingly saying, should our kid go to college? Um, maybe... Uh, given the high unemployment, uh, going to college is going to is an expensive proposition. Uh, there's a trillion and a half dollars of student loan debt outstanding, and even before this recession, we read a lot of stories about people having trouble making uh, payments on that debt. Uh, so, with all of this going on, uh, some parents are probably starting to 
think about alternatives. That some sometimes those alternatives are uh, go along the lines of well, let's send our kid to the local uh, college where they can commute from home, and we can save a lot of money on room and board expenses, and probably also get a little lower tuition, rather than send them to a, a fine residential university. Uh, that's one way you can save money. Or maybe we'll send them to a community college. And increasingly, uh, uh, something I'm hearing more and more about are people saying, hmm, maybe we ought to send our kid to a, a coding academy where in six months or a year they can learn a usable skill that is much in demand. Or uh, to welding school. Welders make good money and are generally in high demand. Uh, so uh, there are some people are starting to think of alternatives to the traditional uh, college degree. Mom and dad's at home. Uh, perhaps one of their jobs has been eliminated uh, or slow to return. Uh, give us a picture, if you could, Rich, about uh, what the mom and dad are facing in their economic short-term future. And it, before we relate that to what it means to the student, what does that mean to mom and dad at home and their base from which they work? Well, uh, it's, it's a huge problem for mom and dad. Uh, uh, if mom and dad are in jobs, which have been temporarily at least eliminated, they have a huge decline in income, some cases almost 100% decline, other cases a bit less. Uh, there's been some governmental uh, assistance provided that is will ease that burden. There's actually, believe it or not, a few uh, workers in relatively unskilled jobs that are actually getting unemployment uh, benefits now that exceed what their wages were. So they actually have a, they've actually benefited from this in a perverse sort of way. They're not a lot in that category, I don't think, but there are a few. Uh, so the picture varies, of course, from family to family. Uh, but, uh, you know, if you work in a factory or if you work in an office or if you work in a restaurant or uh, in almost any occupation, the social distancing rules and so forth have prevented you from going to work. And this is... Uh, very costly. Uh, some families have been sort of have a mixed uh, uh, experience here because one of the parents is working now and the other one is not. So that you know the income is taken a hit, but not uh, they're still be, being able to eat. Uh, so hey, these are not these are not good times. The and the most interesting thing about it all is it's not a problem coming about because. People are unwilling to buy goods and services, which is often the case in recessions, that there's a decline in spending. The people are willing to spend, uh, but in some cases they can't literally even get out of the house to spend the money or get out of the house to earn the money. And it's uh, we don't know how long that's going on. The quicker this thing is resolved, the, the less damage will be done permanently. I think people can tolerate a this for a month or two uh, as part of what unexpected things that happen in life. But if it goes on three, four, six months, it gets to be pretty serious problem for almost everyone. So if mom and dad's at home and they're trying to see where this is going, uh, 
Uh, break down some of the economic jargon for us, uh, Dr. Better. It, it, you know, what does a decline in retail sales mean? What does uh, unemployment rise mean? What what does the volatility we're seeing in the stock market mean? Make sense out of this for for the average person. Well, if I can make sense out of it for the average person, that would be great because then I would make sense out of it for myself. And <laughs> I'm not sure. Uh, us economists like to think we are have the answer to everything. And in reality, we are a little less uh, uh, smart than we sometimes let on. But it is true that uh, for most families, this is going to mean material changes in the way they conduct their lives. They're already seeing it, obviously. They can't go to the store. They have to wear masks. They can't go out and see friends. Uh, you have to find new forms of entertainment. You're watching maybe more television than you would have normally or uh, Netflix or things of that nature. Uh, uh, so we're seeing it some uh, how people change their behavior. But you're also seeing more and more people who were not particularly worried about things who are now worried because they realize that uh, life isn't always smooth. And we've had quite a number of years of relatively decent economic conditions for the last eight or 10 years, falling unemployment, rising output. We've got, we want the longest period practically in history almost without a downturn or re, without a recession. So people got sort of lulled into complacency and uh, a lot of people hadn't, you know, put away enough money away for rainy days. Uh, adverse circumstances, uh, and this is, is is a jolt to them. And one thing we're seeing, by the way, from what little statistics I've been able to gather that mean anything on all of this, is that even people who are working, say, full-time now, and making pretty much their same income, they're spending less than they were before, maybe in part because of the inconvenience of getting out to, uh, for example, get to stores, but th they're also being more cautious because they realize that this thing might go on for a while. And, uh, you know, we may need to have money in the bank. Uh, so uh, to, to take care of, 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 of expenses. And a lot of companies and restaurants and others have had, are having similar problems too much debt incurred during the expansion. So they're having trouble uh, now uh, uh, contemplating the future. Uh, that I'm told, I, I haven't seen statistics on this, that this is a type of period where we usually see a rise in alcoholism, uh, sometimes drug use, uh, a rise in suicides. Uh, people will get pretty despondent because things are different than what they're used to and different in a way that is a, a bit frightening. I know you're an economic historian and I've been wanting to ask you this. We hear comparisons in popular media about this time to the Great Depression. Now, I know it's different that in the Great Depression, our economy was not that great when it fell. 
and our economy at this time was in pretty good shape when it fell. Uh, but but is there a comparison? Uh, you and I are, are children of Depression-era parents, and it, it was just ingrained in us that it was the worst thing in the world. Is this the same, or is it different? I think it's a little different uh, uh, in the sense that in the Great Depression, after the first year or so, people just didn't think it was going to get better for a long, long time. And it didn't get better for a decade. It wasn't like we just had a six month or a year or two decline. We had a five year, 10 year decline. Uh, and unemployment in 1938 was uh, higher than it was in 1929, 1930 when the depression began. So it kept getting worse and worse for several years. Then it got better a little bit, but it never really got over uh, until uh, World War II, essentially. Uh, I used to say, and it's uh, a sort of a frightening thing to say, a little unfashionable thing to say, that in some ways Adolf Hitler got us out of the Great Depression and uh, the Emperor of Japan, who were, you know, bad guys in many ways and did very inhumane things, but they galvanized us into action to uh, get out of the Depression. Uh, it's not quite as simple as that, but there is an element of truth to that. Uh, the, the one hope here is I think most people believe that in a year or two, this virus thing will be conquered in some fashion. Uh, it may be that we will have a vaccine. Uh, it may be we will have find a way to uh, social distance and so forth and, and handle this in a way that minimizes loss of life and we can uh, muddle along. More likely, uh, it, it would be a vaccine. So I think people have a, a, a greater deal of hope this time than they did in, say, 1931 or 1932. We're also going into this thing, as you mentioned, a lot better off. I mean, we're a much wealthier country than we were in 1929 uh, uh, as, uh, as a people. So uh, th that helps a bit as well. We'll be back after this message. The Scripps College of Communication is designed to bring forth the people who bring forth knowledge by word or image or data stream and in every medium and by all means it succeeds. The Scripps College of Communication is where one generation of thought leaders and storytellers opens the doors for the next. Educating and inspiring each other bridging disciplines, forging connections, pushing beyond the syllabus and beyond limits. And because all participants belong to a far-reaching community of achievers, they reach higher and further, not just ready for change, but hungry for it, demanding that ideas be heard, perspectives shared, and visions realized. This is how the Scripps College moves the world forward. This is what knowledge demands. And this is why the Scripps College of Communications exists. To make it loud. To make it clear. 
make it known. Learn more at ohio.edu slash Scripps College. We hear politicians uh, and we hear rhetoric from the president, but not just him, uh, that this is going to be a short-term valley, uh, that uh, the third quarter is going to look up, uh, that uh, the fourth quarter is going to be much, much better, and by next year we're going to be have this in our rearview mirror. Is that realistic? I think it's a possibility. Uh, I think there's a, a 25 to 50 percent chance that that could happen, which is a you know pretty real chance. But I think there is also a possibility it won't happen. I think, uh, and I'm not a public health expert, but I think we are getting so <laughs> tired of being cooped up and so uh, excited about seeing modest improvements in the health statistics a slight decrease in the the number of new cases of COVID-19, for example, that we've gotten sort of exuberant about reopening things and so forth. Uh, and uh, we may uh, have, a, as everyone is saying, uh, the, the doctors are saying, we may have a second wind of, of, of decline uh, coming in, in the fall. And so I think the probability is probably less than 50% that that optimistic scenario will actually happen the way you described it. Uh, uh, there, there's sort of an intermediate possibility that we will sort of semi-contain this thing and we will start to uh, get improvements in the statistics. There may be some herd uh, immunity effects going in into uh, an operation and so forth. And we start to get a, a lesser threat from the disease and we're getting greater output and we're getting greater return to normalcy, but we're not quite back there yet. It's sort of a moderately sluggish uh, recovery and it might take a couple of years to get over. There's no reason why and uh, unless this thing is far more deadly than we think right now, that there's no reason why we can't be back on our feet in two, three years, I would think. Uh, but whether we can be back next year or not, that's a tad on the optimistic side. Talk about job elimination. We've talked about people losing their job because of the shutdowns and, and the quarantines and the isolation. But some of the things that I've been reading is that various companies and manufacturers and, and other entities are saying, okay, this is the time to cut all these jobs that we didn't need anyway, and this is a time to cut back. So when we come back, our profits will be even higher. Is that a realistic possibility? And if it is, what will that do to mom and dad and the general economy? Well, Plato said in the Republic, necessity is the mother of invention. Uh, and the necessity here is we got to do something. And while we're doing it, let's go all the way and do everything we can to uh, position ourselves in the best position we can be. This applies for business people. It applies for uh, uh, households who and uh, employees as well. Uh, so uh, the, the, there is that. Uh, 
uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens to productivity, which is to say the amount of goods and services each person produces uh, after this. Whether if, if, if in fact what you're suggesting is true, we should actually get some upsurge in productivity. Uh, uh, a, a factory employer or a business employing 100 workers uh, uh, will take 90 of them back and the other 10 will either be people who will be discharged or people who may have gone by the wayside anyway during this downturn have taken another job and they just simply won't re-employ and refill that position. And in, the, in those cases, you will get some uh, upsurge in uh, productivity, uh, which in the long run is in a way good. Uh, we're, we're becoming more uh, cost effective. We're becoming more competitive with the international uh, competitors of ours, the, for example, China, uh, etc. There's some good to that. Uh, will people make some money on that in the short run? Maybe. Uh, but if you believe in uh, the profit uh, motive and if you believe in free enterprise capitalism as uh, generally working pretty well, others will come in to try to uh, swoop up those profits and uh, under uh, compete on prices. And so uh, yeah, I, I don't think that uh, it's going to be uh, capitalists are going to get a huge increase in the share of the income uh, that is generated uh, as a result of this. It, it's conceivable, but I doubt it's going to happen, just based on historical experience. That's not been what usually happens. After wars, uh, we often have, you know, major transformations. After World War II, going back to peace, we had all sorts of transformations going on. Uh, uh, moving from military, uh, from producing weapons and munitions to producing civilian goods, women going back home to have children rather than work in factories, uh, military people deciding to go to college rather than go uh, uh, back to the labor force. All kinds of transitions happened after World War II, and it had everyone all excited. Everyone was worried that this is going to be really tough on the uh, country and the unemployment rate never got above four percent for the first three years after the World War II ended and the economy boomed uh, uh, and people went out and bought cars and um, sometimes our first television set and all sorts of uh, exciting things, new uh, houses uh, uh, and suburban suburbs grew like crazy and none of that was predicted in, uh, at the end of the war. So if, if you're sort of an optimist about the way the American economic system works, then I, I would, would say in that tradition, you would expect us to bounce back from this coronavirus pretty well in a year or two. The head of the Fed, uh, the Federal Reserve, uh, sort of was Debbie Downer this week in, in the sense that he said, if we don't have additional government stimulus packages or stimuli, that uh, things are going to get worse or at least stay bad uh, for an extended period of time. Uh, we've had stimulus packages already as a result of this coronavirus. Do you see more of that on the horizon and do you agree with his position? I don't agree with his position. In fact, it's funny you ask that. I'm uh, writing a piece right now for 
hopefully for a major uh, media outlet, uh, offering a different perspective on that. One thing you have to remember, most downturns uh, occur, uh, uh, at least according to the prevailing way of looking at uh, macroeconomics, uh, occur because of sort of a decline in demand. People aren't spending enough. They're not going out and buying enough. This whole downturn didn't come because people weren't spending enough. It came about because we just stopped making the goods. It was a supply side downturn rather than a demand side downturn uh, brought about by the uh, pandemic. Uh, so it's a different sort of uh, downturn and we're not used to these kind of downturns very much. So uh, it's hard to say what the optimal policy is, but dropping money out of airplanes or the equivalent, which is <laughs> almost what the Federal Reserve is doing, uh, uh, is, is like medieval alchemy in my mind. In the Middle Ages, uh, people thought, uh, the, the smart people thought you could turn lead into gold and get rich that way. And there were pseudo-scientists trying to do that. We now have uh, Jay Paul trying to turn paper, which money is paper really, uh, into gold, or in this case into iPads and uh, uh, filet mignon and uh, fine wines or whatever you want to spend your money on. Uh, so uh, it might work. Uh, it's sometime we can stimulate the economy with uh, uh, some more stimulus money. Uh, we might be able to. But my, my read on the 2008 uh, downturn after the financial crisis, that data, uh, on the experience of the 1970s, uh, right after you graduated from college, Tom, right. Uh, right. was, uh, you know, everyone said, God, we we're going to have a great decade. The 60s were a boom decade. The 70s were a little bit of a bummer in some ways. Uh, not great growth. Uh, we talked about malaise and all of that, stagflation and terms like that came into use. Uh, and we were uh, stimulating the heck out of the economy. We were running massive budget deficits. The Federal Reserve doubled the money supply in a decade. Uh, a kind of the same kind of thing that we're doing now. And it didn't have as much positive impact as we uh, had hoped. Uh, in the 70s, it didn't in after 2008, five years after that big downturn in 2007, 2008, we still uh, had uh, higher unemployment than we did when the whole thing started, uh, uh, 7-8% unemployment, and uh, or at least 6% unemployment, pretty high unemployment. No 3% growth rates any year in the, the last decade. We had no year where the total output of the nation grew even 3%. The only time in American history that's happened, by the way. Uh, so uh, I'm uh, a skeptic uh, on uh, uh, Chairman Powell's position, although it is a fairly common one. And I suspect my position is a, as a contrarian is somewhat a minority position. And I may be wrong. And at least I admit I may be wrong. <laughs> it's more than most of my economic colleagues will do. Uh, so true. So yeah. true. Last last area I want to talk to you uh, about is the impact on state and local governments. We've been looking at mom and pop at home and the federal government, but 
just here in Ohio, we're we're hearing of massive losses uh, from from state revenues, uh, but there are also going to be massive losses in local revenues, especially in small and medium sized communities. That's got to have a major impact. It is, and I think the 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 local state and local governments are going to face. Uh, the same kind of uh, problems that some uh, small businesses are facing and that also, of course, universities are facing. Uh, and uh, I, uh, you can't underestimate the magnitude of this. We are in a, we receive the state government and the local government too, for that matter, receive a lot of their money from taxation and it's money that is dependent on the state of the economy, income taxes, Revenues vary with, uh, obviously, the number of people working and the amount of money they make. Uh, sales tax revenues, more or less the same thing. More people make, the more they spend. The more they spend, the more sales taxes. Uh, even property taxes uh, are likely to be impacted. Their uh, property values are not likely to rise and by robust amounts in the coming years because uh, who, who can afford to buy a house? Uh, so uh, the, the government's going to have a big revenue shortfall, and uh, the, it's probably unrealistic to expect the federal government to make most of that up. So there's going to be a problem. So communities will have to decide, what are we going to cut? Or are we going to raise taxes? If we raise taxes, people may move to some other community they, 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 and they will complain and they may throw the, the bums out of office or what they perceive to be the bums, the politicians. So there's that. Uh, and so it's a dilemma uh, what to do. And so maybe we're going to have to do with fewer policemen. Maybe we're going to have to rethink our oh, oh, recycling programs or, or things that we view as useful things for the community, good things, but maybe we can't afford them anymore or we're going to have to charge people more for them, extra fees on people. Maybe we'll have, and as I say, raising taxes is, is, is obviously one option and it will get considered everywhere, uh, but uh, it, it is done with uh, some uh, uh, consequences, negative consequences as well. So uh, I'm glad I'm not the mayor of a city or the president of a university or the CEO of a corporation right now. They're all tough jobs. Well, and right now, uh, I bet you're wishing, uh, also glad that you're not mom and dad at home deciding whether to send, you know, Johnny or Susie off to college and, and make that economic uh, commitment. Sure. I mean, circling back to where we started, yeah. uh, this is pretty dire. It is pretty dire. Uh, and uh, it's the most dire circumstances in our modern lifetimes, Tom. And, and you and I have been around a while. I mean, I think right. I remember reading about you in the Old Testament of the Bible, I think. <laughs> I think you're right. I think you're right. <laughs> At least I was in the New Testament as Doubting <laughs> Thomas. There, yeah. there you go. <laughs> yeah. Rich, thank you so much for talking with us. Every time I talk to you, you make things clearer, not necessarily better, but clearer, and we appreciate that. I've enjoyed it very much, Tom. 
Today, we've been talking with noted economist Dr. Richard Vetter about the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on both higher education and the average American family. Spectrum is produced by WOUB Public Media. Adam Rich is our co-producer. I'm your host, Tom Hodson. Please subscribe to Spectrum. You can do that at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or at NPR One. Spectrum also is available at the NPR Podcast Directory. We always welcome your feedback, so please rate our podcast or review it through one of your podcast outlets. If you have any questions or comments about our podcast or have suggested topics for us to cover, please direct them to me by email at hodson at ohio.edu. That's hodson, H-O-D-S-O-N, at ohio.edu. 